My name is Thad, and before I get going, I want to make one more uh, plug personally. I know that it'll probably be on the things you need to know, and Jade might mention it later, but this afternoon from 3 to 5.30 at Sumner Family Church in Sumner, we're hosting our Open Life 101, which is an opportunity to get to know the heart of Open Life. If you've never made it to an Open Life 101, if you're new within the recent months and you want to figure out, man, is this the the church family that... uh, that I resonate with, that, I, that believes the things I believe or that I belong in. I'd uh, love to have you there. You, we'll have Q&A during it too, and uh, just a, a purely a good time. And we have quite a few people coming, so you won't be alone, and we'd love to have you. So that's that plug. Um, but I want to I jump into this talk. I'm, I'm pumped for the five weeks we're going to spend in this series called Bless This Home, and how many of you want, whatever it means to you, a blessed home? Like you want a blessed, the rest of you could care less. You're just like, no, no way. Uh, just kidding. Isn't it funny though? I mean, you look at families today and, and maybe you're a people watcher like me. Airports are heaven, right? It's like, yes, let's, let's do the like Mad Lib. And what would they be saying right now as they're walking down? But you kind of look, and it's and maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is not, man, that family's so blessed, right? It's more like the commercial that's out there right now, where the guy's like, man, I am never getting married. And then the next thing you see is like buying a ring, and he's like, yeah, it's a good one, you know. And then he, then he's. He's married, and he's like, we're never having kids because there's a crying kid next to him. And then the next thing you know, they're having kids. He's like, man, we're never having another kid. And that's when, right, she looks over at him and says, we're pregnant. And you're like, that's just kind of how like, you look at someone, and you're like judging the way they're living. And then, then all of a sudden, you become what you were judging. And so now you're judging the people judging you. And it's just this thing back and forth. And we kind of look, and we don't necessarily think, Life is peachy for them. Wow, they're blessed very often. You do sometimes experience that, but more so we can point out the negative in others. And we tend to think, man, that family's really struggling. Rough day. They need a nap. You know, there's just that reality out there that you go, this must be a rough patch. Um, and we do go through rough patches. I mean, ultimately, it's truly hard work to have a blessed home. And we live in a difficult world. I mean, we're processing through so much to live a life of peace. You know, we're trying to, to set a new, a new bar, I guess you would say, in, in, in marriage because what was modeled for us and our parents was not what we wanted to live out. Maybe it was divorce, maybe it was uglier than divorce. It was just brutal relationship, fighting, quarreling, and you don't want to be that. So you spend your whole relationship saying, man, I I don't want to be versus I want to be, right? Maybe you're trying to recover from a financial job loss or hit, and you're just, it's financially stressful, and home is, is stressful. Maybe you lost a home, and you're trying to process through that and still have a blessed home. Or the opposite side, trying to keep your focus because you're in a season of prosperity. And how do you not just live entitled, but think, how can I still make it through this well? 
or you're trying to blend multiple families into one. And that takes a lot of work. It seems like it's more appropriate to, to think you're trying to avoid drowning in your home versus, you know, living blessed all the time. And you don't want to be fake. You want to be genuine. So it's a challenge to say, yeah, our home is totally blessed. Deep down inside, though, we all want to have a blessed home. And the definition of blessed is different for everyone. And so we're going to look through the lens during this series of the Beatitudes. It's a teaching that Jesus did to his early followers. Uh, and so he you know, walked through this series of teaching, blessed are this, blessed are that, blessed are that. And, and we're going to tie that into the home and how that could apply. And you may be sitting there right now, especially students, you're like, great, five weeks of this? You know, because you're like, I'm not married yet. I'm single. I'm like, marriage is way out. Like, girls are still gross, and guys are still, you know, you're just in that mode. Well, here's the deal. The followers of Jesus were single, a lot of them, the disciples. So you're at the same season as when he teached this to his followers, teached when he taught. I ain't no teacher. Uh, I made it through the eighth grade. Uh, so it's just the reality of the, the followers of Jesus that are learning this, they're learning what they can become, what they can model for others to follow. Because you may be a first-generation follower of Jesus. So you're learning this. This is new territory, and that's okay, because you can get the tools you need now, even if you're 13, to be a blessed home as you grow. And you can lead from any spot in the family, as we'll talk about more here in a few. Today we're going to talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. And the next week we'll come in with Blessed are the pure in heart, followed by blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peaceful, but the peacemakers. We'll come after that with blessed are the persecuted. That sounds like an uplifting talk. Yeah, right? It will actually be fun. And then we'll jump back for the last talk and look at blessed are the humble. Which is, I love that talk. I'm excited about that one. And then we'll be at Father's Day after that. With a cool little treat, I gotta say, Father's Day, we have the pastor, my pastor, who was in the church I walked into when I was 21 years old, Les Welk, will be coming and preaching on Father's Day. I'm kind of pumped about that. It's gonna be an exciting day for me. Uh, personally, you know, I'll be the excited one that day to have my spiritual dad share. Uh, talk. But let's jump in. Matthew 5, 6 says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. How's life? Satisfied. Right? Can you imagine? Just like, satisfied. Like, I'm totally satisfied. Right? That sounds like a great way to live, a great way to be blessed. So why, at times, would we say we're not satisfied? Maybe we're feeding on the wrong things, or we're feeding ourselves the wrong things. 
right? It's like that bag of chips or a can of chips, if you will, right? It's like, man, you can't eat just one Pringle, chowing that can down, or you open up that, that Lay's sour cream and onion huge bag of potato chips that was on sale, and it's like, this is doing me no good, but I'm going to polish this thing off, right? The bags of chips do not last long in our pantry, but they're really not that good for you. And I think sometimes we, we look at what we're hungry for, and it, it's because we've been feeding ourselves something that's giving us the wrong appetite. And so that's a question for you to kind of consider. Before we jump into our thoughts today, I have a couple questions. Uh, first is, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? And you can tell what you're hungry for by what matters most to you. Now, those of you who do have kids, you're lucky because your kids can tell you what matters most to you through observation. Isn't that kind of brutal? It's like your kids can absolutely call you out if you're like, I don't know what matters most to me. Well, you could tell in a few different ways. You could read your credit card statement. You could ask your kids. You know, you could look at how you spend your time. <laughs> but are we filling our lives with the things that really, really matter? If we took a hard look, what are we putting in our life before the opportunity to grow in a relationship with Jesus? Is it your phone? Now it's okay if you're on your phone on the Open Life app right now. Let's <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Quick plug. No. Yeah, see? Thank you, Eric. But just because... It's a great, it could be a great tool, but it can also be a great distraction. Social media has made a culture, like a, a generation, unsocial when they have the opportunity to be face-to-face. -face. So now places have, like, challenges that you get a free this or that if you never look at your phone when you're in their restaurant. You know, it's just the, the challenge that's there with our phone. Is, is it sports? Is it all the leagues that are optional out there that we select and, and become a part of? Is that what's distracting us? Is that our focus? Is it vacation? Some of us are like, that'd be a great distraction. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm going on too many vacations. Are you kidding? Wow. But maybe some of us, that's like the deal, and we infatuate our time on that, and that sucks all the time away from like this relationship God wants to have with us. Is it the next fun run? Like, I know those people, right? You know the, maybe you know those people. They have just so many of those, like, little badges. Uh, I want to call them badges, but, like, the, the trophies or the emblems, the little symbol things that they get from running fun runs. And they're just like, so they're looking, the next fun run, man, you got to do it, which ultimately keeps them motivated to run. Because if nobody's chasing you with a gun, it's hard to be motivated. Anyway, just looking at me. Uh, is it the next bin-watching Netflix opportunity you have? Is that what's most important? Uh, is it the DVR? You stay up so late on Saturday that it's like, oh, man, I just, I'm too tired to get up and go to church. 10 a.m. is so early. 10 a.m. is early? Anyway, just, just a thought. Just, just throw that out there. Bob Goff says this in his book, which is the book we have back there, phenomenal book. 
loved us, says, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. So what matters most? Another question would be, what do we do when we realize we're hungry for the wrong things? Maybe it'd help you if you knew what the wrong things were. Simply replace those from your diet. Easy said, hard to do, right? A while back, quite a few years back actually, about 10 or 11, we were challenged in the church I was youth pastor in at the time to, to do a 21-day, what's called a Daniel fast. So fasting is this thing you do that Jesus challenges us to in Scripture and the Bible practices throughout. It's a challenge where you would uh, not eat something per se. You would go without something, and during the time you would invest in that meal or whatever, you would pray. You would seek God for something specific in that season. So we were doing a 21-day Daniel fast, and that means uh, Daniel did a 21-day fast in the Old Testament, and he just ate nothing pleasurable. So yeah, it was brutal, right? 21 days. It was way harder than just going without food. You were just eating things that like had no flavor. So that was kind of your, your, your 21 days. In that season, or I should say before that season, one of the things I knew that was going to be the toughest about the 21 days is I was giving up my drink at Starbucks. I used to get a double tall, non-fat hazelnut latte extra hot and double cupped. Like I was a daily at least once a day, right? That drink. So I was just like, man, no syrup. This is going to be brutal, right? And so during that time, every once in a while, I'd just have straight black coffee. It was I know I was suffering for Jesus, right? And so, so that's where I was at. For me, I, at the time, I was like, you know, and then, so 10 days, 20 days, 21 days hits. The Daniel fast is over. I've actually had a great experience with the Lord. He spoke a lot of vision into my life, challenged me on a lot of things. I go to Starbucks. I'm like, finally, I'd like a double tall non-fat hazelnut latte extra hot and double cupped. They pour it for me. And I take a drink, and it was disgusting. My appetite literally shifted in 21 days. It was sugary, nasty, sweet. It was the, I could taste the hot milk. It was just no bueno. And so I decided that, like, I was going to convert. And from that day, every once in a while, I'll get an iced Double tall, not fat, has a latte. But I won't get, I'll get Americano or black coffee. I go with as bold as they'll make it, right? And uh, that's just the way I roll now. It literally changed my drink. It changed my appetite. And when we feed on Jesus, when Jesus is what we're consuming and eating and desiring and hungering and thirsting for, it changes our appetite. Our big idea for this day today is blessed homes are centered around Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus will change your appetite. And what is at the center of your life? We believe life is better with Jesus at the center. But you might ask, how do we get 
there. Because right now Jesus is a thing in my life, but how do I make Jesus the center? So we're going to talk about that today. First, let me tell you how not to get Jesus to the center of your family. Let's say legal, legalistic Christianity will not get Jesus to the center. The Bible is kind of made up of two sections, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the, the, the approach of legalistic Christianity, like living according to the law, the rules, and the sub-rules of the rules. And how did that go for people? It didn't go well for people. In fact, we read in, in the New Testament that the law was introduced so that we could understand we were sinful. And so Jesus had to come to, to fulfill the law so that we could have the grace of God and have free salvation because we couldn't earn it. We could not obey. We could not obey all the rules enough to inherit eternal life. <coughs> Maybe this looks like sheltering your kids from the world around them because you just don't want to let them know how evil everything really is, right? And so you, you bunker mindset, I've heard uh, a pastor call it, where you just like, okay, we're going to get in the bunker, we're going to close everything up, and hopefully the world doesn't affect us. That's not what Jesus challenges us to do. Jesus challenged us to go and be in the world, to be a light to the world, not be of it, which is the other challenge, Right? The other challenge is cultural Christianity. So you have legalistic Christianity, which doesn't work because rules without relationship lead to rebellion. But cultural Christianity is when we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. We just kind of look just like everybody else around us, behave just like everybody around us, and have the faith just like everybody around us. Following Jesus should change us. It should change our appetite and how we interact and how much grace we have for others, how much love we have for people. It does change the way we see others because we have hope for all. Open life is a people leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And this includes leading our family up, down, and all around. That means if you're a student in your home and you're the only one who follows Jesus in your home, I was a youth pastor for years, you can lead Jesus into your home and it can impact your parents and your brothers and your sisters, your cousins. You can be that light that comes into your home. Don't give up. Revelation 3.16 says, Since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What's that talking about? Well, the reality is our spiritual temperature should not be just neutral, should not be just lukewarm. So I mentioned I switched to black coffee. I can do iced black coffee. I can do really stinking burn-your-tongue black coffee. But lukewarm, when it gets lukewarm, Ah, oh, do not like coffee, right, in that state, right? It's just, it's like watery chalk, you know? So I just, I, I just, it's no good. Well, same with, 
God is just challenging his church. Hey, I want you to be hot or cold because I want you to serve a purpose in the world. Don't be just warm about this. The psalmist captured it beautifully and gives us something we can lock in on to today as we approach the points in the talk today. Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary, gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Isn't that beautiful? Become a Christ-centered family, holding to his right hand securely. So what does work? Well, let's begin with kind of the heart of this series. And here's a statement that kind of will say every week. As a family, we're not just a Christian family. Instead, we're a Christ-centered home. And there's a difference. There's a difference in a world where the word Christian means so many things, right? It's different to say, well, I'm a Christian, or to say, I'm a, like, we're a Christ-centered home. We're a Christ-centered family. I think it clarifies a lot, because Christians just become kind of this label. Maybe it's more appropriate even personally to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have a relationship with God. But Christian. And I, I don't know why I cringe whenever I'm taking like one of those surveys and they're like, it doesn't ask, are you a Christian or are you a follower of Jesus? It asks you if you're an evangelical Christian. For some reason, when I hear that term, I'm like, nah, what is, right? It's become so negative in our culture. Because every time you hear that term on the media, somebody was hating on somebody. And Jesus sent us to love on somebody. So it's this challenge that we're looking into here to walk that out. I don't know. I've seen all kinds of horrible movies in my day. And I've seen all kinds of horrible things on the big screen while people are wearing cross necklaces. And just because they have a cross necklace on does not mean they're a Christian, right? Just like standing in a garage does not make me a car. Unless I self-identify with a car. Anyway, just couldn't resist, couldn't resist. Could not resist this week. Wow, I'm sick of the news. Moving on. We need to help. If I offended you, I love you. And uh, you're amazing. So uh, moving on. We need to help our family see God as loving, approachable, and involved. How easy would that be if we could just help people around us, and specifically for today's sake, our family, see God as loving, approachable, and involved? We should create environments where this is possible, where, 
where our kids, if we're the parents, you know, want to have discussions about God, and, and it's okay and natural to have discussions about God. So how do we get there? Thought one, involve God in our daily conversations. Involve God in our daily conversations. It's, uh, this is very interesting because for some, initially, this will feel weird and unnatural because maybe you don't do this naturally. I, I thought of getting a bucket because you've probably done this. If you've washed your car using a large bucket and you fill that bucket with water, right? I usually go inside and get really nice hot water to wash the car with. And so sometimes I overfill. Have you ever done that? You get the bucket like too close to the lip, and you forget when I grab the handle, what does the bucket do? It bends in, and what does that water do? Sloshes everywhere. Well, ultimately, that splash, that slosh, is what our conversations should feel like. It's like it just bubbles out of us or splashes out of us. If, if our appetite, if our hunger, if our thirst is Jesus, if we're reading the Bible, if we're coming to church, if we're listening to his word, if we're taking him in, he's going to slosh out on people around us. And it's just going to be very, very, very natural to share God in the natural, in the normal things around us. So all during the course of this series, share some examples from our home. And, uh, and, and these are real things. I didn't make these up or, or it wasn't moments where I saw, okay, this is an opportunity to insert God into the moment. It wasn't that. It was just kind of all of a sudden realizing what we were doing was giving God glory for something. So one example is uh, Jaden, our eight-year-old daughter. And I'll never forget when there's a real bright rainbow, they're usually out our front door, you know, and, the, and so it's in the afternoon, the sun's behind our house, and we walk out the front door, and there's a huge bright rainbow, and we're like, wow, this is beautiful, this is amazing, and Jaden walks out the front door and sees that as an eight-year-old and just goes, thank you, God, thank you, God. All you just hear across our neighborhood is, thank you, God. The Huff kids are outside again today. Everybody lock your doors, go inside, close your windows. It was this funny moment because she's just like shouting, thank you, God, it just because of a rainbow. But that was just natural overflow uh, and understanding, like this is God's symbol to us that he's never going to flood the world again. It's in the Bible. Bald eagles. So Preston, my five-year-old boy, is so in to bald eagles. And we do Mondays are usually an adventure with dad. I drop our, our twin 13-year-olds off at school, and we have an hour in between middle school and elementary. So I take that hour. We get donuts with dad with the two littles, we call them, our eight-year-old and five-year-old. And, uh, and we go on a daddy adventure. And it's usually driving somewhere. So we're driving on some farm area in Enumclaw. And, uh, and we're out there, and all of a sudden, we come across this, like, kill. The eagles found, like, a cow or something in the middle of the field. We couldn't see what it was. But there were more than 20 eagles in the middle of this field just dive bombing and flying up into the trees, flying right over the car. And we're just like, 
whoa, and there's Preston again. Thank you, God, that we get to see this. We're so lucky. And you're just going, where are they getting this? You know? Uh, and then you realize, because we got six yards of dirt delivered the other day to scatter all over our grass and reseed to try to reseed. I may have put a little too much dirt on the grass, and I may have redeaded the grass. It may have died. Anyway, so I'm praying it comes to life in the nice weather we're having, like 85 degrees, hot dirt, dead grass. Anyway, um, the idea was to grow grass. Moving on. We're scattering it, and it was decided to be the, one of the hottest days of August in April or May, whenever, wherever we are, right? So it's just so hot that day. I'm just dying out there. I'm, not only is the work hard, but, like, it's hot. <coughs> and Preston, my five-year-old's helping me. And we're out there. He's helping me. Anyway, so we're, we're scattering the dirt. And all of a sudden, clouds block the sun full on, right? It goes from hot to refreshing. And just, I was like, thanks, God, for the cloud. That is amazing. Take a drink, and I'm resting. And I thought nothing of it until a few minutes later when it's sunny, 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 and all of a sudden another cloud comes by. And here's Preston standing up on top of this six-yard mound of dirt, and this cloud blocks the sun, and he just stands there and he goes, Thank you, God, for that cloud. Here's, okay, I'm getting this, right? It's just very natural. It flows. It sloshes out of our life. We need to get the place where we can just let that happen. Lead your family to that place. Find out how you can do it. And maybe, yeah, it feels clunky at first. I don't know. Proverbs 3, 6 says this, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Man, if we just acknowledge God, that like he's really in all of this, all of life, in all of our ways, acknowledge him. And he'll straighten it all out. It's a great thought. Thought number two, understand the importance of church. It is God's plan. Church is the bride of Christ in Scripture. So it's kind of like this is Jesus' wife, and it'd be really brutal to say I love Jesus but hate his wife. Have you ever had a friend you've told that to? They're not your friend anymore, are they? <laughs> right? Man, you're cool, but your wife is driving me nuts. Dude, I'm kind of mad at you for that, right? So it's like, no, you, you, you got to like the couple if you're going to hang out with them. And Jesus and the church go together, right? To make an hour and 10 minutes fit our weekly schedule, sometimes this is a challenge, right? But there's something that Jesus just wants us to get from this hour and 10 minutes together, growing in relationship with each other and with him. I look at this and I go, man, this is, this is something, because sometimes we talk at our staff meeting about how maybe we gave too much leniency on this thing of church attendance when we started Open Life. Maybe we unintentionally developed a culture where it's okay not to be present. 
right? Because honestly, we do value when people are on mission, even if it's on a Sunday morning. And we only have one service opportunity right now. It's 10 a.m. here or in Sumner. So it's like, yeah, we don't have the evening service that would make it more convenient when people are out of town. But have we made it too easy for people to just go, well, you know, I'm on mission in my yard today, right? Or does God want us to be here to receive from him? Contrary to what you may have been told before, if you're gone on business on a Sunday, you're not going to hell. So if you've been told that, uh, you're wrong. In fact, you know, if, you're, if you have a conscience that's just really bothering you and somebody gives you Seahawks tickets and it's just weighing that you're going to miss a, a Sunday service because you got Seahawks tickets, here's what you do. You just, as an offering to the Lord, hand them to me. I understand. I want to minister to you and help you. And so I will take those tickets and in your place, in Jesus' name, go to the game and glorify the Lord there for you. I'm just saying, I will take the light to the game. Uh, it's interesting because, no, that's a good time. That's fun. That's, you're with your friends. You're, you're, but it's when Sunday just gets too low on the priority scale. And that's my life story, ultimately. And there were reasons, but I'll share kind of from a more perspective of what I felt here. If church is too low on the scale of priority, it may be eternally detrimental for your family. Maybe not for you, but for those you've invited that show up on the week you're gone because you just decided to sleep in. But all of a sudden your neighbors showed up. And they're like, oh, well, so-and-so invited me, but you slept through that one. Or you took an easy out. Or maybe the Netflix was still on. And you're like red-eyed. Oh, it's church. Oh, too tired. You know, it's just that reality. Maybe it's not for you detrimental to miss, but it's detrimental for your kids. Because... Your family will take anything. Kids will take anything seven times farther than you intend. Have you discovered that? Right? And uh, so here's, here's the truth of this. Um, when we were young, when I was young, we hiked on Sundays. Or my parents got headaches on Sundays. Oh, can't go to church without a headache. Or it was the only day we could get our hair cut, or it was the only day we could mow the lawn, or the game was on at 10 a.m., and they hadn't even invented the DVR, right? That's how old I am. I don't know if Beta could record live TV. Now all the young people in here are like, something was in a test phase? Beta means something totally different now, but... Back in the day, there was this VHS tape. VHS? What's VHS? Anyway, you know, just the reality is you, you didn't see it if it was on at 10 and you were at church at 10. You just missed it, God forbid. And so now we have this great technology. But there was always an excuse in my home. And so we, my brothers and myself, Unfortunately, and so my 
age was 5 to 14 that this occurred, interpreted church as something to be avoided. Oh, church, that's that thing that you try to get out of. That would be the answer I would have given you. So what is that pattern of not holding church important communicating to those around you, your family? It's interesting to think, because for you, you might be strong enough where it's not a deal breaker. But for me, it resulted in, in years of poor choices and baggage that I deal with to this very day. On the other hand, church has been a family thing for my home. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because we're a Christ-centered home. And my kids love church. They love serving the church. I have one daughter at home with a fever today. She was supposed to play keys. So the one that looks just like her showed up to play keys with about 24 hours notice. Did a great job, Jocelyn. It's a good thing you guys look alike. Nobody even knows you switched out or that you play every other week. They have no idea. Boy, that same girl's playing every week. No, it's different every week. Anyway, so uh, they just all, if you play keyboard here, you have to look like that. No, I'm just joking. Um, so it's just, it's interesting, though. They love the church. Church is number one. I'm that parent. When I was a youth pastor for 13 years, I would go, how could parents ever ground their kids from church? Those parents are going to hell. And then I became one. And my kids got to youth group age. And it's like the one thing that means most to them. And you're like, I'm going to I'm going to ground you from youth group if you do that again. You're like, I'm that parent. You know, so it's kind of whatever's most important. Take my cell phone. Take anything. Don't take the youth group. I'm like, whose kids are these, right? And then I read this on Instagram this week. Listen to this. It's so weird to think that a year has gone by with OL student life. But I'm glad, that's a hashtag, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the pound sign. Okay, moving on. But I'm glad to have spent it with these peeps, people, if you don't speak that language. You guys have made an awesome environment where we can laugh and learn about God, and I look forward to every Wednesday knowing I get to see every single one of you guys. I hope and pray to see Hashtag OL Student Life. Continue to grow. See ya, S-Y-A, next Wednesday. When students are posting things like that on their social media feed to all their followers, we have hope for this generation because there's a love for the church. Young hearts like that can change the world, and they're growing up loving the bride of Christ, the church, the heart of the gospel, and it'll impact the entire family's life. Your love for church can spread to every individual in your home, your neighbors, your friends, your teams. Students never underestimate your influence. It can begin with you. So you get parents, get those students to groups. Get them to camp. 
Get them to conference. Find a way. Hunger for God and hunger for their hunger for God. Or maybe in this room, you have an opportunity because you don't have students in your home to help a student hunger for God. And so you're scholarshipping, you're doing whatever. Maybe you're opening your home for groups to meet in it. I don't know how you can play a part, but we need from the youngest to the oldest to help people love the church. Final thought, thought three. Show how connecting with and serving God is fun. (laughs) Now, oftentimes, it's not intentional that I'm funny. And so I don't go into, like, my day thinking I'm going to be funny. But oftentimes, there's humor involved in my life because I love to laugh. I really do. So even one of the things we do in our home, just to make the faith a part of our life, right, is, and we never sat down and had a family meeting and said we were going to do this, but whenever I'm driving whomever to school every day, no matter who it is, we pray for their school that day. And so it's not like a long prayer. We're not, I'm not on my knees while I'm driving. I would crash. We don't have self-driving Prius yet. Anyway, uh, you know, it's just like, that would really not make me a Buckley resident if I had a self-driving Prius. They're like, move to Bellevue. Anyway, so, um, but I, you know, on our way, we hit Buckley, and I know Glacier Middle School is just around the corner. We, we pray for their school day, and it doesn't always have to be serious, and I'm not like rolling down the windows because I have to shout to God. I'm just literally like, God, help my girls have a great day. Help them be an example of Christ's love to others. Bless their teachers, those that are in administration of their school. Keep them safe. You know, help them learn today. I'll usually throw something in, like, I know we ate tacos last night. Not, don't let the girls embarrass themselves with gas in class today. You know, I'll just be funny. It's okay, right? God probably likes to chuckle. So I've seen Evan Almighty. He likes to laugh. God was in that movie. Anyway, so you sit there and you go, I, you know, how can we just bring humor and fun I mean, we have a DJ at our Big Give event in the fall for a reason, because we have fun. It's okay to have fun and be a follower of Jesus at the same time. My girls will come home from church, and they'll go, Dad, you were pretty funny today. And I'll just go, that's funny, because I didn't feel like like there was no no pre-written joke in my notes, right? I didn't mean to be funny. And then there's other days where, like, I do, and when we're pre- preparing the talk, I write something down, I'm like, that's going to be stinking hilarious. If I say that, if I actually go there, people are going to laugh, right? And then we'll go home, Dad, you weren't very funny today. It's like, oh, I mean to be, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I mean to be. You know, it's this whole dilemma. But the reality is, it's okay to be fun. It's okay to bring fun into serving God. Joshua 24, 15 says, If you refuse to serve the Lord then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, 
we will serve the Lord. I'm praying that that's your decision today. The action point, make choices to center your family around Jesus. We believe life is better with Jesus at the center. We're a Christ-centered home. It's the look-alike. Anyway, so today we're going to have a response like this. Communion. What a better way to celebrate Jesus and the center he is for our home than taking communion as a family, whomever you're with here. Obviously, if your kids are back in kids' church, they're there. But whoever you're sitting there with, usually we go and we just grab a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. The bread's a representation of the body of Christ, and the juice is a representation of his blood. It's called communion. Jesus challenged his followers to do this so that we would remember the fact that he gave up his body and shed his blood so that we can have eternal life through putting our faith in Jesus. That's what choosing to follow Jesus is, putting our faith in what he did on the cross and the resurrection. So we celebrate communion. And I thought, why don't we as families, instead of just individually grabbing it, when you get there as a family today, if you've chosen to follow Jesus and you celebrate communion today as a family, just kind of pause and all three of you grab bread, get the juice on it, and then as a family, or all four of you, however many of you there are, take it together. Just as a symbol of, hey, we're, we're making Jesus the center of this deal we call home. I'm going to pray for you. And why don't you stand as I pray? It makes it easier for us to make our way. So you can go and as a family take communion as soon as I say amen. And then you can make yourself back to the seat and Jaden will come and close us out. But God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate you today and your communion tables that are on either side represent the price you pay for us to truly have this promise of eternal life. And you challenge us not to celebrate communion unless we've made that declaration that you are Lord. And so that, God, nobody in here takes communion without having an opportunity to follow you. I just want to pray with those today that have yet to choose to follow you. And give them that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If there's someone here and they've yet to invite Jesus into their life, may they just make that choice right now and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put you at the center of my life, and I want the promises that have been read in your scripture today to come alive in my home. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Life is better with you at the center. So I pray right now, God, that we would choose to follow you in this room, put you at the center of our homes, and that we'll begin this journey in this series by celebrating what you did for us on the cross around the communion table as a family. So as we go and celebrate and the worship team sings, let this be a deep and impacting moment for everyone who chooses to partake of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Feel free to go and receive communion together.